Hello and welcome to the uh, post-Juro episode of the unofficial, unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan, or is it? Sarah will complain about that harshly through the course of today's episode, I am sure. But with me, in order to help explain all awesome things Euro-related, women's cycling-related, and frustratingly Dan-related, is my dear friend Sarah. <laughs> Hello! Oh, we don't need to talk about you, Dan. We've got so much racing to talk about. It's so much more interesting. Oh, thank fuck. That's so much better. Cool. Um, well, when we last spoke, we were basically three and a half stages into the Giro Rosa. Um, and a lot's happened since then. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sad it's over. Oh. I know, it seemed to go all too fast, uh, you know, at least in part because obviously it was two stages shorter than it normally is, but also because, you know, it was about, I don't know, let's say 10, 11 stages shorter than it really should be. <laughs> but weren't they great stages? They really, oh, really were. There was so much cool shit going on, like really cool stuff. Uh, how about we catch everyone up in a, in a sort of chronological order, or an actual chronological order if you prefer, um, and, and then get into, you know, the, the specifics of things that we thought was particularly brilliant. Okie dokie. So, when we last spoke to you, dear listener, we were watching Stage 4 on Twitter as it was happening, and Stage 4, I was a bit, I'm a bit surprised by this in retrospect, actually, because... Oh, in stage, stage four basically ended in a kind of flesh on style climb, yeah? So very, very short and steep and, and, and thigh attacking. And lots of people tried to escape in the beginning, but Rabobank... I, actually, uh, I have to pause because when you said in a flesh on style, I thought you were going to say with a video camera there but pointed the wrong way. So <laughs> I was about to get really angry again. <laughs> Oh, Dan, I've used your tr your Pavlovian trigger, haven't I? <laughs> now I want bacon. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever meet you, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be in the middle of a casual conversation and just drop something in casually. La 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 la. Oh, flesh on and just see you turn. You know, like in the Bugs Bunny, uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon of the the Frankenstein version. Um, I actually don't know the Frankenstein version. No, so you're gonna have to explain it now. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, put it, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll find the Bugs Bunny Frankenstein and put it in the um, in the links. links. Okay. In the links. And, and I shall it. I shall watch Bugs Bunny Frankenstein. But I think I know where you're going. Basically, what you're saying is that you're going to have a bunch of things scattered around the place that are constantly within reach, and so you can say flesh lawn and then I can just pick something up and smash it. <laughs> I was thinking more about watching. <laughs> You're just you're just gonna uh, paint, you know, on one of the walls in your house. This is the wall you can safely demolish, Dan, and um, <laughs> and then I'll just you know run over and beat it. <laughs> well, anyway, stage four had a special. I'm, I, in retrospect, I'm a little bit surprised because what the score was was that Mariana Voss had been in the Maglia Rosa since. Um, stage one and she did that because although Kirsten Veeld won stage one Voss had scooped up all the intermediate sprint points mm. and so, the time bonuses that went with them 
Yes, and so and she did this. She did this. She'd done this in stage two too, as well. Mm. And then in stage three, she'd escaped. And the reason was was that stage four and five were really big mountain stages, and really big mountain stages aren't very Mariana Voss. Not really her her forte. Even though she has transitioned into mountain bike this year, um, it's it's a different kind of thing. So. Yes, indeed. They may have both have the word mountain in, but they're not the same. Not even a little bit the same, except that they both have mountains. And bikes. Mm. But apart from, that, apart from that, they're totally different. <laughs> except for the things that are similar. <laughs> so, but anyway, Rabo, we're not having anyone escape on stage four. So much as people tried in early breakaways, etc., etc., it all came down to the final, final climb. And, yeah, and off they went and it was very interesting because I said it was a little bit like Flesh Ballon but when they got to the top of the super steep climb it had a 300 metres of flat yeah which is you know decidedly un-Flesh Ballon like um, yeah. yeah but what's happened but what we do know one rider who's particularly good at riding up super super steep things and then being able to sprint on 300 metres of flat don't we um, it's it's entirely possible that there is at least one rider who's capable of doing that. Yes, and that rider, Marianne Voss. Mm. Did you see the video? Did you see the stay, end of that stage? It was lovely. I saw, she... saw the end of that, yes, yeah. And, like, just spent. Uh, spent. <laughs> that was the sound of spent, in case you needed explanation. That's what spent... <laughs> That's what spent sounds like. Next time someone says to you, ooh, I'm spent, that's the sound they mean. Okay. It, well, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of like now anytime someone watches Austin Powers again, that's let's what they're talk. going to hear. I was going to say, let's, let's change the subject. <laughs> oh, right, sorry. Dig up, Dan, dig up. <laughs> <laughs> So stage one, and so Voss won, and it was it was amazing. And in in the front group, because going up this hill, it was Voss, it was Eddie Stevens and Ash Mormon who'd been who'd been leading who'd been leading the climb basically, yep. and then Voss just nipped past them on the on the on to sprint along the flat. But Which, it looked like was... it's it's just an amazing feat, though. I mean, because seriously, with the with the those three riders, like I you know I would have assumed that the the natural pick would have been Evie Stevens um you know as the as the stronger climber and particularly because of the way that she finished Fleshful on last year you know like she's got a great punch as well and yeah. and I just thought that it would have fallen that way so yeah it was I don't know if it's right I don't know if you can ever rightly say when Mariana wins something that it was an upset victory but it was certainly not what I would have expected from that stage Oh, that's interesting because I am the opposite of you. I think Evie's brilliant, but when she, I think one of the reasons that she won the um, Flesh Ballon last year was because Voss was in her very, 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 very skinny mode um, and had lost her... Um, her had mojo. Lost... Well, I think... Do, do you remember in her book, she talks about how... Um, which we haven't read in English yet. Please, someone publish that book in English. Um, uh, how how she sacrificed some power when she when she dropped all that weight. Well, how she almost became anorexic and mm. she nearly lost it all is how I you know um, you know how that, she basically that's, that's how your translation from the original Dutch. No, was. no, she says she said she said <laughs> in interview. I'm teasing. 
Jeez, wow. Uh, note to everyone, Sarah's really sensitive if you make jokes about her translations from Dutch. <laughs> Dutch is not my second language. Um, no, but It's not people, even in your top ten. <laughs> other people translated it for me, Daniel. Oh, my God. I, I, my, my second language is getting other people to do things for me. <laughs> That's not your second, it's your first. How do you think this podcast started? <laughs> oh, he's in, so, he's in such a bad mood today. <laughs> this podcast started because Dan approached me. Um. He DM'd me on the internet saying, hey, um, I, I, hey, I know you don't know me, but I've got a, I've got a proposition for you. <laughs> It's true. Well, it's sort of true. I'm pretty sure I didn't use the word proposition. I'm pretty sure you did. Oh, well, maybe I did. I do like innuendo on the internet. It's it's, <laughs> it's what the internet's for, no, really. So I, think, I think he probably put something like a suggestion. I've got a suggestion that I want to run by you. <laughs> I, I think, I personally think the word that I was most likely to have used would have been idea. Possibly, <laughs> possibly with the word crazy attached to it, but... <laughs> This is an argument. This is an argument to be settled in one way and one way only: Google search. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the race because that's why people listen to us. I'm sure. Hang <laughs> on. You mean you us. mean people listen to us? I know it's so hard. Anyway, Mariana, in in the interview that other people translated, thank you very much, had said that she, you know, that things had gone things had gone really wrong, and she was, you know. On the verge of on the verge of anorexia by by accident. Well, she says that she was training too hard and not eating, you know, not 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 upping her food intake enough, and you know, getting a bit stressed and stuff. And I think flesh last year was a bit of a wake up call for her that you know that, that, that if she wanted that kind of power finish, that mm. I mean, and I think this is the thing that I love about Boss, and this is going to come in late, later on actually, that she's very aware that she can't have everything, you know, that she knows she can't have those big climbs but, and she can I, but, but she knows that if she does skinny right down and train on those big climbs she loses it elsewhere you know it's not I, I really like that I like I like to see an athlete who knows that and understands that because sometimes I think people expect complete impossible miracles like especially in men's cycling like you know why weren't they riding away from Froome the other day etc etc you know yep yep Anyway, yes. Anyway, back to stage four. So yes, Voss won with Evie and Ash Mormon in third. And Ash, first rider from the African continent, first African rider to be on the Giro podium. She is just having one of those years that just makes you smile, isn't she? Like, yeah, you know, you, it is. You can't help but be be so excited and happy, and uh, because not just because she's winning and doing really well, but she's such a lovely and infectious person and personality in her own right. You know, it's just fantastic. I, I think when Daryl Impey was in yellow, and he was you know the first rider, you know mm. first rider African continent to be in in in, in yellow, and uh, you know I just I just was. I just was so happy because I knew that Ash would come off that day, find out and just be delighted. Yeah. You know, with her proud South African, proud SA tweets, you know, mm, she's mm. so supportive. They're, they're so supportive of each other. And yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, Ash, and we'll come to why Ash didn't have such a good Giro later. I think Ash is, Ash is feeling a bit disappointed with herself from her Twitter, but you know, she absolutely shouldn't be because you know, she's done every year, she, every year she's getting better. 
you know mm-hmm. it's and and she's been there she is on the podium it, it's great it's fantastic and yeah she's having a great year and she's such an enthusiastic person i'm really happy for her congrats ash congrats so that was the halfway point and mm. then oh hang on hang on just before we move on to to stage five i just want to go back to the 15th of may 2012 uh when i wrote literally the first sentence dear sarah today i had a crazy idea (laughs) yes google men's proof right yes that wasn't that wasn't the tweet you sent me though i didn't send you a tweet you did. You tweeted me first. No. Can I have your email address? Because I've got some things I want to ask you. Come on, then. You know, feel free to Google me wrong, but so far I'm winning. Me and Google are winning. Yes. How did you? Yes. You yes. Okay, cool. Now back to the show because people apparently are here for the cycling, not for our feud. So then, stage five. So we're at the halfway <laughs> point. Voss is in the Malia Rosa and she's leaving by a couple of minutes, yeah? And then the mountains turn up. And. In previous years, I mean, one of the reasons Voss won last year and the year before was because when they had the mountains, they had alternated some mountain stages with some of some stages with some really big descendings. And also the climbs for the last two years have had a lot of, they've not just been straight up. Mm. They've had a lot of those bits where, you know, you're going down a little bit and then up and then down a little bit and then up and, you know, or a little bit of flat and up. Yeah, yeah. And you sort of, you gain over the course of the whole stage, but it's not like a, a big you know, fuck off, tear your legs off, beat you around the head with them and then attach one of them again, keep riding kind of climbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, which is what we had this year. Mm, mm, indeed we did. And, you know, and very importantly, I mean, I know you've already said this, but I think really important was the the lack of descents off the other side of climbs because as we've talked about often, Marianne of Ice has this terrible habit of making up three or four hours every descent, um, <laughs> you know, which makes it really hard for everyone else. Uh, it's it's yeah, awkward. I, it's awkward when on a stage that includes a descent, Mariana finishes before the peloton actually left at the start of the stage. It's just well, it's still a panda did draw for it. Caroline did draw for us. How that happens? That is like seriously my favourite drawing of all time. Actually, you know what? I um, Caroline, I have been meaning to do this and completely forgot. Um, please tell me where and how I can pay you for the original of that and get it sent to me because I want to frame that and put it somewhere. <laughs> I love it. Mm. Yeah. So stage five, it was interesting because it was quite a it was quite a lumpy stage at the start, actually. And you know there were there were lots of opportunities for breakaways, and there was a very large breakaway to get that, that got away, but it had none of the GC contenders in it. And just before the hill hit, there was this descent where they caught the breakaway, and then it was just this non-stop punishing, torturous climb. Punishing and, and torturous. And torturous, hot, very hot as well. Up, it up, actually up. was, really, wasn't it? And, like, the whole the whole week was quite, you know, brutally hot for the most part. So, um, it, I always find that really strange about European summer and climbs because, like, Italy's one part of um, continental Europe where it gets as hot as it does here in summer. But then, like, they've still got these climbs to the top of the mountains where it's, like, minus 100 degrees. And um, <laughs> if you breathe out, you freeze and stuff like that. Pretty sure Walt Disney's at the top of one of those climbs, just waiting to be thawed out once they've worked out how to cure whatever was wrong with him. Insanity? Which, which was a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Fascism. Um... 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I'm taking us on these really weird tangents tonight. I'm, yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, one rider broke away from them on the from the group on the climb, and this was Mara Abbott. Mm. And we said before that Mara Abbott was the complete dark horse. Um, she Mara won in 2010. She came second in 2009, and she won in 2010 after. Uh, she, she spent that year dueling with Emma Pooley. So Pooley had won the turtle load ahead of Abbott, the Pyrenean tour. And then Abbott won the Giro ahead of Pooley. Um, but she was always one of those riders. You know, there's this skinny climber meme. Yep. And and I don't know. I'm a bit bothered by this. It, it worries me because Abbott, I mean, apparently her problems didn't kick into the next year. But she was always incredibly skinny. And then when she came back in 2011 to try and defend her title, she was clearly ill. Do you know what I mean? Mm. She, you, looked, you looked at her and she was clearly, yeah. clearly ill. And, this, and is a, this is a story that we've talked about a couple of times because it is, um, you know, on the one hand, quite remarkable. But on the other hand, possibly um, revelatory of deeper issues that exist you know, within within all sorts of elite sport to varying degrees because, as you say, you know, there is that skinny climber meme and like we've talked about before, it's really, really hard to judge, um, particularly when you get to the level of personal physiology, you know, where that line between skinny and unhealthy is. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so tough stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah... And, and- Sorry. So, so she left after the 2011 Giro. She just left cycling, and basically, she said afterwards that she was having lots and lots of problems. One of which was anorexia, and yeah, and and she had like a crash where she'd been found wandering the roadside in Colorado, in her home of Colorado, like not really knowing what had happened, and mm. you know, and, and it was all very disturbing. And but she's come back, and she has been riding. The USA domestic scene. Yeah, um, and she yeah, did. Could, she did have a very good um, hit out in the the tour of the healer earlier this year. Did you? Didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, though, it's really hard to tell. It's really hard to tell what that means because mm. it, it's not even like it's not. It's uh, I, I love you know I love American racing. Yeah. I mean, you know I love it, but it's not even like the best riders in America because if Eddie Stevens isn't there or whatever, do you know what I mean? It's 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 just really hard to tell. How people compare how people compare to what's happening in Europe, and I've said this before, and I'm probably rounds about this again. But because we've lost so many climbing races, just even judging climbers is impossible. It's mm. just really mm. and, so, and and then add to that, you know, the the fluctuations of in season form over the length of the whole season and all of that sort of things, and and all of this adds up to why Mara was our dark horse. I mean, Sarah was was pretty confident that she would be in the mix. Um, you know, myself, I. I didn't have enough knowledge of or, or hadn't seen enough of Mara to even have a clue. Um, you know, so I was very much taking Sarah out of her word, uh, which, you know, she should note down for posterity because that's probably the only time it will happen. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, so it was really interesting then on, on this stage to see her, you know, bust a move on the climb and I, I guess not show up but, like, really, really take it to the riders that we had expected or, or known would be would be competing in the climbs? 
Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess you know I, we had an argument about this the other uh, the, uh, the other week, didn't we? Where I say I kind of I don't really, you know, I guess if, if if you just sit at home and just practice nothing but non-stop mountains, do you know what I mean? You're you're very good at non-stop mountains, whereas other people are like racing the season. Do you know what I mean? And and, and you said no bollocks Sarah that's a completely legitimate tactic you know and you know and I take your point um in a very English way (laughs) (laughs) oh we have to include a link to that now uh Sarah's Sarah's got a great list of of translations of English English uh where (laughs) I take your point means shut up you fucking idiot or something to that effect so Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what English people say versus what they mean and versus what other people think they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> think they mean. But the short version the short version is Sarah doesn't take my point at all. <laughs> she may take my life at knife point, but that's as close as she gets to taking my point. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, Abbott, Abbott showed that she was um, 100% back on the international stage. I mean, I have... I'm, I'm hesitant to be honest. I don't want to say, "Oh, she's recovered from anorexia," because I know it's not that simple. Do you know what I mean? Well, I know yeah, it's no, like, I, like... I do. I mean, I think in in a lot of ways, you know, that sort of a thing is particularly because of the nature of food. You know, like like the human body requires food, and so I think I think the the whole relationship between eating disorders and everyday life is a ongoing thing. I. I I don't know. I'm I'm no expert, but I don't think that ever really goes away. No. Mm. But anyway, she was she completely crushed the stage. Um crush, crush, crush. And um and the only people and behind her there was a trio of Fabiana Luperini, who'd won five times before, uh, Tatiana Goderzo, who was the two thousand and nine world champion, and Francesca Cows, a twenty year old I've got to say, I've never heard of Francesca Cowles before. She rides for Vasa Bortolo. Um, apparently, she's a cyclocrosser. She's an occasional cyclocross rider. Okay. But I was watching her. I was like, who the hell is she? And this is, again, it's like it's it's sometimes a little bit frustrating to uh, apply men's cycling rules to women's cycling, yeah? Mm-hmm. Because if, if it was like a 20-year-old you'd never heard of suddenly keeping up with the best in the world on the on the mountains, you know, everyone knows what that means. Do you know what I mean? Oh God, doping. Yeah. But has there been no mountain there been, you know, last year all well, the hilly races were flat. And if you're twenty years old and there's only this year this season the only really hilly races were Amakamine Bira and which was in completely torrential rainfall, you know, and mm. had lots of descending. And uh also uh the Giro Trentino. And if you were off your form that week, then how do we know? We just don't yeah, know. Yeah. There's no way of well, measuring. And, and and added to which is the, the perennial problem of women's cycling where the the coverage is so widely varied in terms of the amount of coverage and what you can find out and, and that sort of thing. It's actually ridiculous as it may sound, entirely plausible for a rider to essentially fly under the radar without having done a single thing wrong and and just have slipped through the cracks basically. Yeah. So mm. I mean I've got no you know so so people did ask you know, so people were asking who is she? Mm. <laughs> I've mm. no idea. Mm. I've no idea. I mean I do know that there was shed loads of drug testing in this tour, um because Coney uh especially the Italians because Coney and uh have 
of the Italian Fed, the Italian Olympic Fed and the Italian Fed are really going bonkers about their drugs testing at the yep. moment. So, yep. you know, if anything's dodgy, it'll come out. Um, not that I'm saying it is. Oh, no. God, I wish I had the start of... This is where I'd normally say, oh, Dan, please can you edit that all out? But <laughs> well, no, but the thing is, you know, as awkward as it is, it's got to be addressed because, you know, as you say, the the issue of doping in women's racing is actually significantly more complex than it is in men's racing and it's really fucking complex in men's racing as it is you know so um you know i I think it is actually important to to acknowledge the fact that yeah a rider coming out of nowhere is surprising and that raises questions unfortunately that's the nature of cycling today i mean fuck man i i had to watch an interview with chris Froome last night where you know he was all nice and and british and polite about it but was it basically recycling you know the wiggins and cavendish and every other fucking writer's thing about oh yes i understand why i get asked these questions but it's kind of annoying because it's not relevant to the current era of cycling and blah 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 and it's like well actually sorry i have to call fucking bullshit on that because even if you're not doping and even if you believe in every fiber of your being that no one on your team or any of your friends or anyone that you know is doping cycling got into this situation like it got carried here you know so we're all here together so fuck it it's not journalists being pricks and asking annoying questions and it's not fans being unreasonable and asking annoying questions these are unfortunately as it is for all of us because I don't want to ask for doping questions. I don't want people to have to ask doping questions. But that's where we're at. That's where we're at. So, you know, I do think actually, you know, as weird as it is and as unsatisfying as it may be to not have a definitive answer, we've kind of got to tackle it head on and just go, yeah, that's the situation. You know, there's no reason to assume that anything untoward has happened and we're certainly not suggesting anything untoward has happened. But, hey, look, here's a rider who's essentially come out of nowhere, caught us all by surprise, and that's going to be an interesting one to to see whether she develops into an international success, you know. I mean, hell, she's young. She could be the, you know, us looking back and going, wow, and we thought Mariana Voss was good. (laughs) Maybe. Or, or well, you know, or, or as I say, with no mountains races, mm. you know, with, with so few, with so few hilly races, we just don't know. Yep. And that's you know. exactly bring back Sarah's uphill time trial just to settle this once and for all. <laughs> well, you look at that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we showed you that ridiculous alpine mountain race that that the Emma Pooney rode, which was you know, you ride through a an alpine lake and then you ride over some, you swim through an alpine lake mm. and then you mm. ride over some Alps and then you run up an Alp. Yeah, and then you get chased by a pack of wolves and um, and have to dodge a bear before you can cross the finish line. Yeah, Which seems it, like it, overkill to me, but she's into that sort of thing. But that's what mountain. That's that's you know, if yeah. if you're a, if you're a mountain if you're a mountain cyclist, you know, there's a reason Pooley was riding the Ort route um, uh, sportive last year because you know there weren't any mountain racers. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, though. Like, if that's what you, if that's the type of rider you are, you will seek out events that that suit, you know, that that challenge you, that push you, that are exciting to compete, you know. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did wish Pooley was there all the way through these mountain stages because, you know, oh, I would have loved to have had a repeat of that 2010 Pooley versus Abbott in the hills, just. Oh, I would love that. that would just been so much fun. It would have been absolutely fascinating. It, it really would. And you know, I think one of the other things, like, I, sorry, I know we've slid slightly off track, and I'm jumping ahead, but I just really want to say because it, it seems appropriate to now. Um, that really stood out for me about the the Giro this year is how 
much I long for it to be a longer race. Yeah, you know, like, totally. I think it was a fantastic race in terms of, um, you know, doing all the things that a, a Grand Tour should do, like showing off the country and the different regions and giving us different types of terrain and types of racing and tactics and being competitive and exciting and interesting with, you know, lots of potential winners on the day and overall. But, you know, dude, I'd have killed for even four more stages, you know, <laughs> like just, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm jumping ahead and I'll say at the end what, what I would have liked to have happened because I, it was great. It was great. But on stage five, it really looked like, and look, I've segued back into talking about the race. How cool am I? Um, <laughs> on stage five, it looked like Abbott had, the whole GC was, was, was shaken up. Um, so Abbott, Cal, and then Cows, Lou Perini and Goodertso, and then um, Claudia Hausler bringing up the, you know, bringing up the next group. But the big losers were, um, big, not losers because they were still up there, but people who dropped down the GC were Ebby Stevens and Ash Mormon. Mm, mm. And, and Ash said on Twitter that she just, you know, she she positioned herself really badly on the descent, so she'd entered the climb behind. But you know, it was her own fault. And I, I you know, what I blame about Ebby for Ebby Stevens, and I'll come on to this later. But I blame the specialised floral kits. <laughs> because there can't possibly be a logical and rational explanation for it. It's just got to be something superstitious. Honestly, well, I'll, I'll, I've got proof. And I'll oh, really? Proof. Okay, so yes. I, I, unless unless your thesis when we get to this point is that the flowers provide extra wind resistance because they stick out, I'm going to be super sceptical. Anyway, so stage six was another climbing stage, and it started with the descent. But after the dis after the descent, it was basically continually flat until they hit another mountain. And they moved this time. This one it started on the seaside, yeah. And one of the things I love most about the women's women's peloton is they kind of came off the. You could kind of stage five had ended out of mobile coverage zone, yeah. Yep. But you could tell when they all came down because suddenly Twitter was full of incredibly funny one-liners from riders who'd been in the group petto <laughs> laughing at how appalling they'd been i think jesse mclean's i wanted to be a bead on so i could have been ejected from <laughs> yeah. and then was that was the one when um sharon laws was it who was tweeting um you know the the shouting die side of the road you know like yes. dai um which yeah, is just, which is come on or something like that in italian yeah. and she's like she's, she's like can't you see i am dying <laughs> She thought they were shouting "vi," but they were shouting. But it sounds just like they were shouting "die," and I thought, "I'm doing." <laughs> Actually, they were. <laughs> but they were shouting "die." Come on, yeah, Sharon, yeah. love her. But I just there were so many funny things like that. But and then overnight, there were you saw in the morning with riders going, "Oh my god, this is the most beautiful place I've ever stayed." But oh my god, I've got to climb up that. <laughs> Exactly. Like one of those days where you roll over, look out the window and your breath is taken away, not by how beautiful the view is, although it is beautiful, but by the the hours of pain that you know are coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look up at the snow-topped yeah. mountains, because it finished in San Domenico Stage 6, which was a ski resort. And yeah, and so they, they started, the race went off. And in the middle of the race, so there was a breakaway, um, but it, actually, I know how much it is. So there's a breakaway, and they were caught on the climb. And once again, at this climb, this was a much more different kind of climb. It had some very steep sections, especially the end. The end was just mental. But it had some very steep sections, but it had some flattened, some flattened out stages. And so this, this group at the front, which had 
um, Abbott and Hausler and Kaus and Lou Perini and Goderzo and Eddie Stevens were all together. And then when it got to the really steep bit in the last three kilometers, off went Abbott, one solo. Uh, Claudia Hausler in second. Fabiana Lou Perini, I think, was in third. And Francesca Cows in fourth. Um, cool. But then at the end, we found Twitter, uh, Twitter Polemica. Yeah, well, I mean, this was this was one that was interesting for me because, um, it you know you know it, it's the quirk of of time zones and everything that European races finish really late at night for me, and it was about I don't know maybe two hours and two and a half hours after the stage finished, just as I was set to go to bed after having watched the the finish of the TDF stage, that I saw a tweet from from Carl Lima which was kind of cryptic and, and suggested that there was going to be a bit of a shake-up in the GC. And uh, so I stayed up for an extra hour and a half refreshing Twitter like a moron. Thanks, Carl. Uh, really appreciate that. And finally decided, fuck it, I actually do need to get like at least two hours sleep because my boss is very forgiving but not that forgiving. And, um, and went to sleep and woke up in the morning to learn the news. Yes, and the news was that Fabiana Luperini had been DQ'd. Mm. Now, and not for the reason that everyone has immediately assumed that she would, um, yes, which I mean, is I mean, for Lu- being part wolf. Um, <laughs> I Luperini, she's a she's she's a five times former Giro winner. I think she won it four years in a row in the nineties, and then she won it in two thousand and eight as well. But she's also known for having a doping ban. I think Nandrolone. Um, Does sound right? It's, it certainly sounds like a drug. But um, Lou Perini, I mean, Lou Perini, she's 39 and she's uh, past her best, I think it's fair to say, in every other race, but brackets. We don't have any climbing races these days, close brackets. And yeah, so I just assumed it was going to be doping. Because, you know, but it was actually more interesting than that. Yeah, because... well, because what actually happened was, um, it, it's actually kind of funny because it's the kind of thing that I quite regularly make fun of the UCI for. And on this very podcast, May more than once have suggested that if the UCI, UCI were slightly less concerned with um, saddle angles and slightly more concerned with doping, we'd make some fucking headway in this sport. Uh but as it turned out, uh, Fabiana's bike was actually under the legal weight limit. Yeah, so they basically the top five riders finished. And as they finished, they were walked off and their bikes were weighed. And they do this because there's a blanket UCI rule that all bikes have to be 6.8 kilograms or heavier. Mm. Yeah, and It's a bit of a weird one. And I'm, I asked Stefan Wyman about this and he wrote a really nice explanation about it, it for my a... race on Podium Cafe. Mm. Great, great um, explanation. Uh, 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 forgive me, but as I understand, the rule came about from back in the... It may have even preceded carbon, but it was back in the, the days when the race to make bikes lighter to improve overall speed was a big thing. And there came a point in time where there were genuine safety concerns about um, how, how light a bike could be and still actually be strong enough to withstand the rigours of racing. Um, and so the weight limit was set so that... Um, there would be less incentive to to pursue uh, lightness at the at the sacrifice of strength. Um, interestingly enough, 
since then, uh, technology has progressed significantly and, and carbon processes and, and manufacturing and all that sort of thing means that you can produce a bike way under that limit that's still completely strong enough and safe enough to, to ride. But the rule is the rule. Yeah, and you know, and, and this is why we have people actually adding weight to bikes. Mm. And as Steph pointed out, it's particularly interesting when you come to women. Well, it's interesting anyway across the board because a six point, if it's in proportion to how heavy you are, then I mean... I mean, there's no way to do this apart from just put a random thing in, is there? Because, you know, as Stefan was saying, a well, 50, uh, as if a, you're a 50 kilo rider, yeah. that 6.8 kilo, you know, a 6.8 kilo bike means one thing. Whereas if you're like Andre Greipel or, you know, or one of those great big hulking male sprinter types. Yeah, like, like as I know, say to my local bike shop every time they try to sell me something because it's 200 grams lighter, I'm just like, it's not going to make a difference. It's that making the bike lighter is going to make no difference to the overall package. Yes. Mm, mm, exactly. But, I mean, but if you're 50 kilos, as you say, that's over 10% of your total body weight. So it's, then, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and then how do you manage that as well? Because, you know, Fabiana Luperini is tiny and actually someone like Matt, like Emma Pooney is tiny as well. Mm. But then that's, so should you do it on proportion of body weights? Well, but then when do you weigh them? Because your body weight changes all the time. And Well, not uh, to mention which, fair. you know, take a step back a stage. And, and we were literally talking about the complexities and, and concerns around weight in elite sport as it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, you know, exactly. if we suddenly incentivize, like literally incentivize in the rules that you can have a lighter bike if you're a lighter rider, we're going to be in really serious trouble. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then height. And then if you do it by height, well, that doesn't make a difference because... Because, you know, mm. some tall people are very, very skinny and some tall people are very are not mm. very, very skinny. So, it's you know, it's anyway. But everyone knows the rules. And Luperini was caught out by the rules. And I don't know. I mean, oh, my God. I've got – I mean, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, that must be terrible, especially at the end of the race. But everyone knows your bike can be weighed at any time because there are all those apocryphal stories of the men's side where, you know, people would get their bikes weighed and then, uh, you know, uh, have – then then go and have the wheels swapped and the yep. things taken out of the handlebars and stuff like that. Or you'd be riding along on your official bike and then you'd have a mechanical and have your bike swapped halfway down the road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or as someone points out, the, the really apocryphal story of mechanics filling people, you know, filling people's filling the filling the hollow places with ice, mm. so that it weighs heavier and becomes lighter on the road. I'm not suggesting any of that happened. Any of that was being done by Luperini, but but you know, it's it's. It, it, it's, it's yeah, it's just such an interesting um, rule to to have been caught out on, and I mean, I particularly liked though in in Stefan's um, reply that that is in your podium cafe piece about this, where he's just like, you know, at the end of the day, that's the rule. Everyone knows the fucking rule, it, and it's a really simple, straightforward six point eight kilos or more, like really simple rule, and um, and then as you added, um, anyone who's who's been to the start of a UCI race will have seen commissaires doing checks on bikes and team mechanics hanging around going, what the fuck do you mean? I got the angle exactly right. Measure it again. You know, <laughs> it's yeah, it, I remember, like you take I remember, this shit seriously. Cause that's, it, it's yeah. the rules. Yeah. I remember when I went to Turingen and there were two, there was the, um, there was the, uh, there was the, the Cervelo, um, mechanic, do I mean Cervelo? Oh my goodness, I've lost my plot. Um, 
yeah, it was the, Gar- the Garmin Cervelo mechanic and the HTC mechanic. And when I was when it was this time trial stage, they went and, they, and their riders went to sign on. Those mechanics walked up with them, with 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 you know, with Yuda Arns and Emma Pooley, and walked up and just stood there, arms crossed, making little comments and you know, like watching them do it. Crouch. I've got photos of the mechanics yeah, like yeah. crouching down and watching what they were doing and ready to jump on absolutely anything. It was like they were really on it. But I mean, I don't know. I mean. I've got some. Cons- I mean, I do have a good conspiracy theory. Shall I share my conspiracy theory? Please, please. This yeah, is no, the no, no. It's terrible. This it's is terrible- the internet. We don't hold back on conspiracy theories here. It's it's a really libelous conspiracy theory. Okay, so I proceed. Oh, okay. Hang on, hang on. Um, for for business and legal purposes, Sarah and I are completely separate entities. <laughs> we live in separate jurisdictions, <laughs> and she has more assets than I do. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> I was wondering. I was wondering that if I was, I was just wondering. I wonder how they target people. Like, and if you were suspicious that someone might be doing an out of characterly good performance. Oh right. So you think that there's a bio passport relationship to? to, to no, no, bike- I was just. I was just. I was just wondering. Maybe they were like going. Mm, we're not sure about that. Let's just test them on. Every, let's just test her them on everything else. And then if we, you know, we know that there's all the drug testing going on, but let's just test her because if we kick her out of the race, she can't be caught later. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's... I'm not saying that happened. I'm not saying that happened. I'm not saying that happened. I didn't say that at all. <laughs> it's it's pretty good as far as a conspiracy theory goes for something that you read on an anonymous and unnamed internet chat room site. I made that that was my own, thank you very much. I, I that came out of my own little. I was just anyway. trying to give you a, a legal out. <laughs> you, you would be the worst witness at your own trial. The worst. <laughs> oh, you can't even have your story theoretically stolen by a theoretical website that doesn't actually exist in order to provide yourself with a modicum of legal coverage. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love you. (laughs) Oh, and your reckless self-disregard. That's awesome. (laughs) He means that platonically, people. (laughs) I'm just saying that to protect you from the asset strippers. From from the safety of thousands of miles away, yes. (laughs) Anyway. Oh my god, mm. I'm dying. Um, yes, I am an idiot. Uh, so stage seven. So uh, this. So this. Sorry, the end of stage six. Abbott had basically Abbott, barring hideous disasters or mm. the peloton losing their entire collective minds. Abbott had won the Malia Rosa at this point because she was about she was about two and a half minutes um, up on uh, Tatiana Goderzo with Claudia Hauschler sitting in third place. And while there was an ITT to come at stage eight. 14 kilometers and Abbott's not a great ITTer, but she only like tends to lose like a minute and a half. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be pretty hard to lose two and a half minutes over 14k. Yeah. However, again, this is where I was imagining like, imagine if Pooley was up there and it was like, because cause what I would have really liked. Um, anyway, so I'll, I will come on to that in a bit. But okay. the other reason I really liked stage six was it had passed through the hometown of Elisa Longo Borghini, which was. Um, you know, for, for people who hadn't caught up on the news, Elisa was 
um, to have been the the GC contender for high tech UCK, um, yeah. and she unfortunately suffered a rather nasty accident at the Italian National Championships prior to the Giro beginning uh, and broke her hip, so she wasn't able to race. So wow. passing through her hometown was actually one of the sweetest moments of the entire week of racing because as she came through town, um, the the team got on the front of the peloton and um, and saluted her and waved as they as they rode by. And she was on the side of the road cheering the whole thing on. It was great. In her wheelchair, because Elisa mm. had... What was really interesting was watching on her Twitter that she was as much of a fangirl as, as well, as the, as the crowd of Daylight Deprived Internet Forum people were. <laughs> it was like, she was just as a fangirl. She was just, what's happened in the race? And, you know, frustrated. <laughs> the ride coverage was great, but it didn't show, like, the, yep. the actual decisive move. It only showed the end game. And, you know, and, and really excited when Rossella Ratto and Julie left, both her teammates, had days in the white, you better mm. riding agency. Yeah, she was a real, and that was lovely actually. And and I think that's been really interesting to see, like this, all this year, seeing riders like Ina Teutenberg and Elisa who couldn't race, mm, still mm. embracing the race and loving the race and being part of the race. It was just, I just, it was beautiful. And yeah. and she told everyone she'd found this wheelchair. She told everyone where she was going to be. And you can see on the on the video coverage, you know, people are shouting and she's shouting to them and, and they're calling to her and she's calling to them as they ride through. Mm-hmm. And then the high-tech team car screeches to a halt and all the high-tech staff leap out to go to go and give her and her family hugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just, it was really, really sweet. It was beautiful. And then, um, well, are we allowed to give away what happened at the end or do we have to wait and yeah. actually talk no. about who won the stage? Have we talked about that already? Oh yeah, we did. We did. Hang on, I'm getting confused about which gift basket it was. It was then. This it was the same stage. Yeah, it was. Stage six. Okay, I'm sorry. I get confused sometimes. It happens. <laughs> Deal with it. Jeez, it's not like I've been drinking. I mean, anyway. <laughs> I am really. I'm. I'm getting really good at it too. <laughs> Uh, anyway, carry on. Um, yeah, well, so so Mariana um, gave her her gift basket of um, of all sorts of goodies to to Elisa as well, um, with her best wishes. And then I can't remember the exact wording, but I, I saw some very amusing comments, um, and it was either in an interview or on Twitter, uh, but some really nice back and forth about I'm not trying to fatten her up, honest. <laughs> Her saying, I'm sure it won't help her recovery, but maybe it might make it a little bit more tasty. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, Voss, you, I just, I mean, mm. Voss, and, and and Voss is just so nice. She, because obviously she lost a lot of time on stage five, and her post-race interviews about that was so honest. Mm. She's like, yeah, I, I, I'm not as good a climber as them. Yep, yep, I'm not, and and you know, this year I focused on you know this year I've been training for mountain bike, and that made me an even less good climber than I would be normally. Yeah. But I, I'm, I, I, I know where it is. I know where it is, and mm. I've had a great race. I know and where that, it is. I've had a great race, and it still doesn't feel good to not be winning. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that honesty, though. I really do. Yeah, yeah, because because there's no there's no kind of excuses. There's no mm. kind of oh, I've had a bad day. I've been, you know, oh, I've been struggling with an unnamed stomach stomach problem, which yeah. I haven't been telling you all about. And <laughs> yeah, and 
and and someone knocked my bike out and I had mm. a bit of a mechanical halfway up the hill. It's like, no, I'm not good enough. And it fucking sucks. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but then came stage seven, Voss's Revenge. Revenge of the Voss. Revenge of the Voss. Stage seven was an eight lap circuit race, uh, completely flat, the flattest stage of the year. And the beginning part, I really felt for it because every single team who hadn't really shone that much tried so hard to have a breakaway. But Team USA, defending the Maglia Rosa, would not have any of it going. And actually, one part of the problem was that Team USA were going, no, no. The other part of the problem was anyone at time anyone wants to get in a breakaway. You'd have loads of other people going, oh, oh, I want to get in there too. And then as a result... <laughs> We've we've, we've seen this happen before, haven't we? I mean, we've talked about the the occasional incident in women's cycling where the attempt to have a breakaway actually just sort of drags the entire peloton forward a couple of hundred meters. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly you've you've accidentally formed a groupetto because you know eighty of the hundred and twenty riders all went in a breakaway at the same time. And that's I mean, that's what happened at the beginning. So the, so the Team USA thing was in the more towards the end of the race, but towards the end of the stage but yeah it was just like it was really sad and then also what would happen would be you'd have like maybe you'd get four riders up ahead and then one of the GC contenders would go aha spare time dash up to the I don't think so so it's basically this stretchy I think they looked like it was just like a long long you know one of those long very very long and thin tail races what they did was actually turned it into the world's longest team pursuit and so it was just Rider <laughs> nose to tail, rider after rider around the entire course until they formed a complete circle, and then they just everyone rode in like the perfect, uh, you know, pace line for the whole thing. It was, it was quite a sight. Unfortunately, there wasn't live coverage because you know, fuck. But yeah. Oh, it was it was great, and but at the end of the stage, it had this really twisty. I think it was four very sharp corners. And then the finish, you know, then, then then like a couple of hundred meters into the finish, into the finishing run. Mm. And this was Rabobank at their absolute genius best, because as they came into town um, for the last on the last lap, you had Ellen Van Dyke for Specialized Lululemon doing her beautiful lead out. I mean, that woman just rides just so powerful. And right behind her was like uh, a Lucinda, you know, Lucinda Brand in her Netherlands national champion jersey for Rabo. And as they got to the final corners, Brand was on the front with Voss sitting, not in her wheel, but like about four or five riders back. And then suddenly something really interesting happened because Brand is a supreme... I mean, I always talk, we talk about Voss being a very good technical rider, but Brand is, is almost as good. And when it came through those last four corners, it became apparent that Brand wasn't trying to lead out Voss. Brand was going for the win. As, as is sometimes want to happen, yes. And that was just... You know, it was just that perfect, perfect Rabobank game with Voss sitting like, you know, sitting, yeah, yeah. sitting right at the front grinning yeah. as, you know, on other riders' wheels. And you had that thing where, what and do you do? It's brilliant because, uh, like, you can imagine the psychology of it. Like, like you know, okay, I admit, um, and and with a, a bracket, apologies, Monique Henley, if you're listening, close bracket. But I admit my version's probably slightly more sweary than other people's. But you can you can imagine the psychology of it, where like you're following Lucinda and you're going, but she's leading Voss out. Where the fuck's Voss? Voss is. Oh right, shit, she's there. Okay, but she's going to move up any second, and when she moves up, I'm going to follow her, and I'll be on her following Lucinda. And now we're in 300 meters. Why hasn't she moved up yet? She's not moving up. Where's Lucinda? Okay, okay, okay. Voss, why isn't Voss moving? Lucinda. Oh fuck, Lucinda! Is Lucinda going for it? No, Lucinda can't possibly. Fucking Voss, Lucinda, Voss, Lucinda, Voss. Shit. 
And all this time, they are thundering through, at, you know, proper top end pace, you know, mm. proper top end. Let's get our speed up. Let, let, let's let let's power our speed up so our sprinters have the best possible, you know, uh, fling off the front. Yeah. And they're going through these tight, tight corners. And what the fuck do you do? Because Lucinda's pulling out space. And eventually, um, Georgia Bronzini was the rider who took the risk, went, oh, fuck it, and just chased down, chased Brand down, mm, caught mm. her in the final, final, <laughs> final front bit. But, you know, all that meant was that Voss had an even better lead out than she was expecting. <laughs> so and it Voss, is, it's just... Voss in his wheel, just swings past her, wins the stage. And it's just, it's that devil's bargain, really, isn't it? You know, and it's the, it's the beauty of having a team strong enough where you can create that situation and have things totally play to you, because... Tactically, at that point, you can't possibly fault. You know, Bronzini didn't do a damn thing wrong. Like the no. the the oh fuck it attack is the right move at that point. By the way, I've trademarked that name, so every time any of you use the term "oh fuck it attack," you owe me like a beer. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but it, it was the right move because you can't just sit there and wait for the race to go away from you and be lost. Um, but as it happens, you know, like you can do absolutely everything right and still not have it go your way yeah and i think and part of the beauty of it is i think it's not just it's it's having strong riders on your team but also knowing that voss may be your team leader maybe your mm. lead rider and may want to win more than anything but she counts lucinda brand winning as winning yeah yeah so she you know because you've seen voss do this before that she doesn't care if it's her or a teammate she still counts that as a win and actually yep. voss will race for second you know yeah and she's just and she's just enjoying herself and that's that's what makes her such a generous and brilliant rider because there aren't that many riders who do that. There aren't that many riders on either of the men's or women's peloton who have that genuine, heartfelt, you know, sprint. Especially, especially sprinters with their, you know, with their big sprinting mm. egos and their, and their, you know, their their lack of any kind of fear and stuff like that. You know, she is just spectacular. And that's what makes him so dangerous. And of course, she said afterwards that she felt great winning and she loved winning and it was mm. a redemption for losing the Malia, Malia Rossa and ending in her points jersey was great. But you know that had Brand won, she'd have, prob she'd have maybe even been even more excited because Brand had worked her socks off for Voss. Mm. She'd mm. in every attack with attack. You know, on stage three, when Voss had like pulled up, you know, been in that final attack, Brand had worked herself to death for, for, for Voss, you yeah, know? Yeah. She'd been out there in every attack with her and she'd burn every match for her and she'd been like the perfect teammate. And you know, and you know that had 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 Georgia not chased Lucinda down, Voss would have just been delighted for her. And I don't know, that makes me happy. Mm. Oh well I mean you know, it's part of what you want to see in in your sporting heroes. You want those sort of iconic moments of you know, it's not even a moment of sacrifice. It's a moment of of pure um, teammateness. Yes, yes, you know. yes. The cycling, and that's and the very best, the very best, the best cyclists always say this. You know, the best cyclists always say this. So, you know, Judith Arns um, was always like, you know, always said that she. There's some. There's an interview where she said that she was always disappointed that when you won, you weren't allowed to get the whole team, team up, up with you. Yeah. Yeah, 
and mm. because she felt that you know she felt that when it wasn't her that won it was the whole team that won mm. and you know when, whenever you saw like stage races where in the Giro where Judith would be up in the mountains chasing really you know chasing really hard and yep. working really hard to win the GC and then on the on the flat days, she'd be right out the front bringing the lead out home, lead out train home yeah, for Ina. Yeah. Well, and it was really interesting, actually. I mean, oh, sorry, a tangent again, but uh, she was interviewed on the Latour Prologue um, television program on Fox Sports here um, during the week, and um, and in that interview, they asked her what her favorite memories were from from when she was riding, and she was like, actually, some of my favorite memories are from setting someone else on my team up to win. You know, and and had a couple of stories about that. Like that was, you you know you, it's just as you say, it's genuinely a part of the the makeup of that kind of pure champion that you you really admire and want to see in your sporting heroes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, so so yeah. So stage seven, and then one more stage to go. Stage eight, the ITT. Now, I said earlier. That I thought that because Specialized Lululemon were in a, um, a a black and floral kit, and I've got to say, I prefer the optical illusions. I I I'm not really a big one for women's teams wearing flowers and you know pink and stuff. It's just it's a personal preference. Yeah, well, but, I have to admit, on an aesthetic level, I tend to agree with you. But you know, as as a um, guy, I sort of also feel like I don't really have a legitimate right to comment either way. So. You know, <laughs> even though you just did. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out, Sarah, because I was going to if you'd missed it. So yeah, mm-hmm. because you know, male privilege says I get to. Just you know, I'm I'm just better than most other men because I'm aware of it. So. <laughs> Uh, if anyone ever bothers to do a study of the the you know displayed sexual politics of our podcast, I'm fucked. I'm just I'm in so much trouble. Yeah, but at least you admit the John Scalzi um, the John Scalzi theory that uh, you know straight white men is the lowest difficulty setting. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Absolutely, absolutely happy to admit that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, stage eight. Specialized back in their optical illusion ITT kits, skin suits, and you could tell they were back in their optical illusion ITT skin suits because they started, they started destroying people again. Oh and, right, okay. Well, Taylor Wiles, I think she started. She was a thirtieth rider off, and she was the fastest for about seventy, you know, until like the seventieth rider. Um, little Taylor Wiles again, first year with Specialized Lululemon fantastic season she's had and I was really happy for her um the only but every eye was on Ellen Van Dyke Ellen is the with with Judith out and with Emma Pooley you know doing other things well this writing in Czech this week um Ellen is the absolute consummate queen of the time trialers this year and she was starting about starting about hundred riders in, I guess. And so Taylor had set the best time, and she was beaten only by Paulina Fran-Prevot. And then Ellen came out, and Paulina had and basically finished a minute faster than Fran-Prevot did, finishing the time trial in twenty-one twelve. And yeah, just super fast, super strong, super powerful. Pretty amazing. She, no one was going to touch that. Just brilliant. But the interesting question was what it meant for GC because, um, wow, Gudurzo 
and Hauschler were pretty much stepped in as this, you know, second, second and third. third. Yep. Down the line, you had, uh, you had. Um, well, once you got down after sort of, uh, it was around three and a half minutes back, which I think was around fourth and fifth position. It started to bunch up a bit more again, didn't it, in the GC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and, and you also had Shara Gillow and Ebby Stevens. Mm, mm. And they are brilliant time trialists. So the a final podium ended up Ellen, Ebby with 34 seconds, Shara Gillow with 52, then Fran Prevost, then Linda Willemson of Wiggle, and then Taylor Wiles and in sixth. And it, was, and it basically meant that Francesca Cowles, who had been up in the GC, she might have even been third, I'm not sure, had slipped right down. No, I think she was fourth. Had slipped right down to eighth. And Shara ended fourth overall, and Ebby ended sixth. Mm, mm. Yeah, so, I mean, it did shake things up on the last day. So, okay, I, I'm willing to admit that there is enough to your kit conspiracy theory that it warrants further investigation. There's more than that because out of the top ten, four of the top ten were specialised because of Carmen Small finishing in tenth place too. Okay, okay. So you've firmed so, that up for me. So so I'm willing to accept that the, the thesis warrants further investigation. What I'd like to know, though, is what, what are we going at detail-wise? Are you suggesting that... Uh, you know, as as I said earlier, that the flowers stick out too much and, and add wind resistance, or is it that the stripes on the optical illusion version of the kit actually just make it look like they're going faster and thereby deceive the the timekeeping uh, technology? No, I think it's that the stripes in the optical illusion kit, if you're riding behind them, mm -hmm. um, kind of messes with your brain, messes with your brain waves, and you know you kind of can't get the perfect rhythm. Oh, okay, so it's not so much that it makes them faster, it makes everyone else slower. Yeah, uh, but I also think, you know, also... It but how does that work in a time trial, though? Because, you know, not everyone can see a specialised rider and be put off by them in a time trial. Uh, well, um, yeah, because they're still ahead of them on the road and stuff, and, you know, you watch them warming up, and they're waiting in front of you. Right, and, so yeah, it's just still, a lingering optical illusion. It just takes a while. I think it makes them go faster as well, because I, I think there's something about the way that the... Air hits those. Um, the, the air hits and goes round the white circular patterns, makes them go faster. Right. So what you're suggesting is that the the black lines of the optical illusion are actually um, made of the fabric of a black hole, an interdimensional black hole, and are sucking air past the riders and um, and thereby pulling them through the air slightly faster. No, no. I'm suggesting that's what the white lines do. But white lines can't be in a black hole, Sarah. It's like science. Science. Okay. Anyway, so that was stage <laughs> eight. Mara Abbott had won. Um, that's back on the top. And that, 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 that podium, the final podium, Mara, Ab uh, Mara Abbott, the 2010 winner. Uh, second, Tatiana Goderzo, former world champion. Third, Claudia Hauschler, the former the 2009 winner. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah for Claudia. I've just got to say, I'm so happy to see her back. She had a hideous, I say this every week, I think, but she had a hideous crash in 2010, had head injuries that, that took her a really long time to recover from. And then she's been, like, you know, studying, finishing her mechanical engineering degree. And it's nice to see her back too. And, yeah, uh, mm. yeah, interesting podium. Um, not at all the podium I predicted. I think I predicted Evie, um, Ashley and Tatiana, maybe. 
you predicted Emma Johansson, so I'm better than you. Yeah, well, hey, to be fair, you were also caught by surprise that she wasn't attending, so, you know. Yeah. Um, now, going on to what I would have liked to see, see, I think what yep. was great was it was two great stages, and it was, you know, Mara Abbott, rightly the winner, dominated in the mountains, completely crushed the mountains. What I would have liked would have been after to after the after stage seven um, to have either another kind of classicy style escape thing where you know with like like they did like they've had in G- G- previous Giro's because in my ideal world the GC all comes down to the final stage you know whether it's a time trial or whether it's a road race but you know that would have been really really interesting you know if they'd all have ended up to get up, up at, at interesting points so you know it, it kind right. of the final result was decided by seconds you know right. so, they, so when you're writing the, the Aaron Sorkin version of the movie script yeah I would I would have a couple of extra stages. Um, mm. My stages would have been I'd have had my mountain stages in the middle, and then I'd have had a nice oh. classic escapey style stage just to see what would happen. Oh, sorry, I've just suddenly fallen in love with the idea of Aaron Sorkin writing a cycling script because you know how his whole thing is people walking fast and talking. Like that's <laughs> that's basically a group ride everywhere. Like it's <laughs> I, I'd watch the Aaron Sorkin women cycling movie. <laughs> so. That was the Giro, Dan. It was, and it was fantastic. It really, really was. Um, as as I said earlier, the thing that all right, there were three things that really stood out for me. That were are we, are we on to Giro highlights? Can I talk Giro highlights? Yeah. Awesome, because yeah, yeah, yeah. these are my three three highlights: two good and one sort of hope for the future kind of highlight. So highlight number one was the one that we talked about last week, which was you know Mariana Vosses absolutely fuck off amazing uh save in the in the sprint on um stage two wasn't it stage two stage mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um when she hit the, the the pothole and kind of looked like she was going to do a flip in the air and die and then just didn't um and got into completely the wrong position on the bike with all her weight forward and one of her feet coming flying out and the bike skidding sideways and she still held it all up and and, you know, was just, like, magic. <laughs> that was, like, it's it's the single most amazing thing I've seen in a race ever, basically. Ever. Um, so, number two was um, the, stage six pa- the stage six passing through Elisa's hometown. Because that was just, like, you know, I don't know. It was just, like, a for me, it was one of those sort of things where it transcended... Everything that you would normally think about sport being only about competition and um, and and stuff, and just really highlighted how much um, you know. Like I, I laughingly poke fun at at Pat McQuaid for using the term "cycling family," but I think what happened on stage six is the perfect demonstration of why there actually is a real sort of familial or at least collegial feeling around cycling. You know, to to have the entire race uh, acknowledge and celebrate that they're passing through Elisa's home, and for that to be one of the key stories of the day, and and everything was just, it was just a really beautiful moment, and one of those things that sort of comes along every now and then to to remind us that you know sports fun and exciting and competitions good and 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 thrilling and stuff, but life itself is about so much more than that, and. And we're all a part of so much more than that. So that was my second highlight. 
And my third highlight is my absolute conviction and takeaway that we need longer women's stage races. It's, you know, it was a fantastic race. It really was. And the organisers are to be congratulated for what they were able to accomplish on short notice and on a very, very limited budget. But holy shit, you know, this race needs to be back to the 10 days that it, it famously has been as soon as possible. And we need to seriously be lobbying the UCI for for longer races for women because... There's, as you say, there's just so much more that we could have seen and could have done and could have had happen in this race, and uh, it just would have been thrilling. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things I liked this week was um, Emma, Emma Pooley. I mean, Emma Pooley this week she wasn't there, and Emma's been running for a really small non-UCI team, so there was no. The only way she'd have been able to race here was if she'd be, got a guest ride, or mm, yeah, been invited to ride for Team team USA or something. Yeah. Or if there, was, <laughs> if there was a British national team. But she was riding in the Czech race, Crash Nalipa, which was won by an Australian Dan, Amy Cure. Yes. Amy Cure, multiple junior world champion in the track, and I think probably everywhere else. Really exciting rider. Mm. Um, Pauline Bridget and Brent Kowska had won the first stage, and then it was Cure Pooley, Cure Pooley, with Cure winning the GC and Pooley coming second. And I'm going to see if I can hunt out some video. I wonder if Cycling, Cycling Australia must have something about that race or somewhere, because, you know. Um, yeah, but Pooley was interviewed on Woman's Hour, which is a long-running uh, magazine show on BBC Radio 4. And she was interviewed, basically asked about a women's Tour de France. And what mm. Pooley wants is a full length, full stage, every state, you know. Yeah, 20 stage, France. women's stage race that, that is a companion race to the actual Tour de France. Yeah, and she had some really good points. I mean, I, I disagree with Pooley on things like, well, I do disagree with her that I'm not entirely sure I want it to be exactly the same length as the men's race just because i think stages like yesterday's tour stage were just boring to me you know <sighs> i mean i you know it could have easily been done being 100 kilometers shorter and nothing would have changed in yesterday's race well it's, actually no i i mean i agree and disagree with that because yes i agree it could have been 100 kilometers shorter but i disagree in that i think it would have changed the race dramatically i mean as as we talk about quite often one of the interesting quirks of of uci rules for women's racing is that because the maximum distance that they're allowed cover in a day's racing is so much shorter the racing itself tends to be much more aggressive and attacky and um and yeah. that's actually something that i think men's cycling could benefit from yeah um, yeah yeah i mean yeah Great, you know, big sprint finish, very exciting, but, you know, it was pretty much, oh, yeah, I'm sat at home, you know, mm. sat, sat, sat at home writing in the morning and then just, oh, well, I could go out for coffee and, you know, go for a walk in the sunshine and read my book in the park and I'll come back and I'll still have time to see the only important thing about the race. Yeah, yeah and, and it is. It, no, but, uh, I mean, I, sorry, I, I do actually think it's worth worth talking about that a little further because it, it, I think it is a real problem. You know, the peloton, the men's peloton, does treat those stages as basically a rolling rest stage where they get to to you know go for a nice nice long comfortable ride at a decent pace and um and then pull it in and and have a bunch sprint and it's not a difficult day and that that quite often happens following you know some time in the mountains and and a rest day and i'm not necessarily saying that over the course of of three weeks of stage racing that may or may not be you know, uh, a benefit to the the riders in general, but in terms of racing, it, it's not 
it, it's you're right it's just not the most exciting racing that we could be having and you know i i think it is actually unnecessary but i also think then that that is one of the things that that gives a huge advantage to women's racing and it's one of the reasons why i, I find it really interesting that there aren't more organizations around the world desperate to grab a hold of women's racing because it's immediately a more accessible product because it uh you know the distances are shorter which means that it's slightly easier to cover the racing's more aggressive and attacky and interesting and um you know it, it, it to me it would all just work quite nicely like i i do think it makes a certain amount of sense um i i do think that that's a very particular product and i would say that i don't agree with emma that well sorry I don't know that Emma's saying this, so I can't say I don't, do, don't agree with her, but I wouldn't want to see this blueprint for this particular race rolled out as a standard blueprint for all races. But, yeah. but I can see her vision of a women's version of the tour happening alongside the men's version of the tour as a workable thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 also, it's also hard to... Um, I mean, yeah. I, I, what I, what frustrates me. I was having this conversation with Dim Space on Twitter, and about about this because he was saying he's really angry about this because he's saying that with the final stage in Paris being starting so late, yep. it was the perfect opportunity for the Tour de France to put on a women's crit around the same course in Paris. And he's saying there's no there's no disadvantage to it at all because the you know the, the crowds are already there lining the roads yeah, and the roads are already closed and and the tv cameras are set up yep. and you know and i've said this before that when you're a cycling fan you know going to races can be really quite dull you know if you you, you turn out I've, I've done it for the for the, for the for the tour of britain where you rock out to the side of the road and you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and then the roads then, then, the, then the first people go past, and the, you know the the, the, the first mm. cars go past, and then the crowd, then the bike riders go past so fast you can't really tell who they are, and then the peloton goes past, and then you wait and wait and wait for the roads to be reopened so you can go home again, <laughs> or yeah. so you can get to the finish, and yeah. then you get to the finish today, and it, and it's and that's. And that's kind of... And it's really it's, hard to know how much beer to take with you because you're never quite sure how long you're going to be stuck there. So, you know, my advice is two, case of, two cases of beer a person um, <laughs> just just to be on the safe side. You may want to stretch that to two and a half, but, you know, it depends. Everyone's different with their consumption. But two cases a person, I think, is a, a reasonable starting point. My advice is make sure you go near an ice lolly shop. What on earth for? Oh, to keep the beer cold, of course. Makes sense, yeah, get it. But, but when you have a crit, I mean, crits, so crits, and, and I've, you know, and Turingen Rundfahrt starts in a couple of weeks in Germany, and Turingen do this really, really well, because every stage, they start and finish in the same town, but they also have courses that loop through the same towns. So for people coming to watch, and they have lots of entertainment, and they do things like um, tombolas and, uh, you know, DJs and and you know people with loudspeakers saying what's happening in the race so that if you're going to see the race you 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 get more of a feeling of how it's unfolding mm-hmm. and it's more and, it's more of a festival atmosphere in a way because you know the the whole thing's sort of set up in that sort of a way yeah yeah and it crits the same you know when i when i went to the world at copenhagen on the last course i was standing on the final on the penultimate roundabout and i was standing next to a couple of guys who had a isle of man flag um, and so, the, and then the first, the first time, and we could see a big screen. We're like, it, Yen's is just like the genius at finding places. So we could see the big screen, 
and we could watch them uh, pile round. You know, when we'd watched the women's race, we'd been right, right near the finish line in a big screen, and that had been really exciting because you could see the end game. But this was like the first couple of times they went round, it took a little bit of time to get your eye in about who's who. Mm. But then Cab had obviously spotted the Manx flag and kind of kept, you know, kind of <laughs> in the edging over that, that way. Yeah, yeah, was edging over that way and, you know, kind of mm. nodding at the lads. And it was like, oh, I'm, I'm with them by proxy. <laughs> uh, that's kind of, it's, it's awesome. I do actually, like, again, another complete tangent, but it's one of those things that I find absolutely, like, so frustrating about, like, the Olympic races or Worlds or whatever is that, I need full coverage of those races because it takes me like the first two hours to work out who the fuck is who because I can't recognize anyone anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty good at it by the women's. I'm pretty good at it in the women's peloton. And that's well, because of the thing. ponytails. We all know that trick now. Thanks, yeah. Moran. But exactly, and that's what um, I asked. I, I interviewed. I sent some questions to Elisa in the middle of the in the middle of the Giro, and and she said, I said, to, and one of my questions had been, does it make a difference how you see the race? And she said, no, but I'm I'm always proud of myself that I can tell that that rider two hundred riders back is so and so just because of her style on the bike or because of her ponytail. <laughs> It was like, honestly, that's like probably the single most useful, like one tip in terms of watching women's racing that I've ever encountered. Yeah, uh, are, you suggesting, are you suggesting that um, any rider who really wants to cause chaos um, in, 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 in worlds should uh, shave her head or dye her hair or straighten her hair or curl her hair on the morning of the race? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm suggesting that so much as I think you're suggesting I have some kind of weird hair fetish. <laughs> oh no, I know it's all about shoes with you, dear. <laughs> yeah, my there's nothing fetishy about my hair thing. That's all completely normal. <laughs> uh, anyway, um... <laughs> segue you wanted to make yeah well it was interesting like i was watching uh well not watching but listening to the the bbc radio 4 um interview with emma um and i'm assuming we'll link to that again in the post i mean i know you did a separate post about it but i assume we'll link it as well uh and partly through um the interview i asked emma you know well where did this all come from like you sound quite passionate about it and and very determined and she mentioned that um it had come through uh, uh, something starting with an American writer and uh, went on to explain that um, being interviewed for Half the Road, which is Catherine Bertine's film project, um, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, it sort of, you know, triggered this in her mind and, and, you know, she was just kind of a, well, yeah, it's time, let's just do it. So it just made me think, though, how much has... I don't know, changed seems like maybe, you know, a little bit too much of a um, strong word, but has started to change in that, you know, like in the, in the year and a bit that we've been doing this, uh, we've, we've now seen um, Emma Pooley start to champion uh, and women's Tour de France. Uh, Catherine Bertine's Half the Road documentary, uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention about that is that she hit her fundraising target last week for the investors to kick in, um, and has actually gone past that as well. So thank you to, again to everyone who uh, contributed and supported with with passing the information along to, to friends and acquaintances and all of that sort of thing, and congratulations everybody. I'm really looking forward to seeing the movie. Um, and the, the start of... 
other initiatives like you know fan backed women's cycling project that um, that Stefan Wyman was is facilitating and has been heavily involved in from from the start of the year and uh, and things like that and then also the news during the week that um, there's that that um, U.S. riders group uh, like U.S. Women's Cycling Association that's sort of being formed at the moment and you know I'm not 100 percent certain what that is I mean it looks like it's going to be uh, primarily focused on on domestic U.S. women's racing to start with, but it's interesting and I think it's a, a positive step, um, although you know a specific step um, towards giving more voice and representation to to women. And the other thing that that um, sort of happened during the week that I'm really kind of keen on is um, Cycling Victoria, which is you know the, the state of Victoria here in Australia. Uh, the body there released a report. Um, and a handbook uh, that found that over the last 12 months their membership rates um, and participation rates from women cyclists had grown uh, at a significantly higher rate than men. So their growth rate for, for women taking up cycling and participating in cycling events had grown at a rate of 17% over the last 12 months, which is phenomenal. Uh, but the other thing that I thought was brilliant about that was not only did they release that and go, hey, how cool is this? You know, we've, we've got this growth and, and growing equity and there are more women cycling in Victoria now than ever before. But here's a handbook on how to contribute and bring this to your own club and, and, and help it continue. And um, and you know make your your club women friendly and um, and all of that sort of stuff. Which you know it, it's that sort of combination of like we're seeing big vision uh, sort of ideas start to be implemented at all different levels of the sport and in slightly different ways. But I really do get the sense that that we're reaching some kind of awesome moment in women's cycling where there's enough passion and enough connection between fans all over the world and teams and riders and and um you know commission uh members and and all of that sort of thing to to really start to see some things changing so yeah i'm pretty excited which you can tell by my long rambliness which i have not yet stopped Oh, I really enjoyed that Cycling Victoria handbook. I mean, yeah. it made me laugh because we'd had that. We've we've we mentioned. I think we'd had a conversation with Monique Hanley on Twitter before about you know some of the things that are like that that you do to attract women. That she was saying that people have been really. Some people have been really anti, like really anti, and but some of the things are just basic common sense that you wonder why cycling clubs aren't doing it anyway. Like you know, have it really easy to find out how to join and be nice to new members. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like answer your fucking email stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> you've you've had that experience in Sydney with that club ride you try to join, where you're not allowed to start until you've had a chat with them. Um, well, the, yeah, they, they, they requested that um, that I make contact with uh, one of their officers who was going to be the leader of the, the particular ride that I was joining so that I could, you know, meet them five minutes before and all that sort of stuff, which is fine. Um, but, yeah, I'm still waiting to hear back. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, and, 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 and that's the other thing is that these things, these things aren't just stuff that would help women and girls have a better club experience. They're the thing that will help everyone have a better club experience. But... Thinking in the context of how do we how do we get more women and girls is really really important. Mm. I've, I've, 
I've, I've been having this, I'm going to have a big rant this week on our blog um, because I've been thinking about all the different kinds of amerta there are within cycling. Like, you know, why is cycling so white? You know, and, and, and why is the solution, oh, well, we'll get more cyclists from, from predominantly black countries. Why, you know, why has cycling... Why is British cycling when, you know, 17% of the population is, is from both minority, minority ethnic backgrounds and, you know, a much higher proportion presented in sports in Britain in general, look at athletics and, you know, football and rugby and stuff like that. Why, why is there no, why are there, you know, why are all the, why is everyone so white? And, and it's like, you think it's just because so much of this stuff is run by people who are doing it for themselves and who are, looking at what they want and as a result you miss out on so much more interesting stuff you know well it so is I, I think you're absolutely right like i think it's it's a universal human truth that you know uh, most people i think don't even actually consciously think about it and even of those who do i think fewer people would actually be willing to admit uh than than is actually true how much of what they think instinctively about life is actually based on themselves you know like oh people people don't like this or people hate doing that and when they say people they actually mean i you know yeah. and and it's so easy to forget um you know that you're a really bad representative sample of the greater population <laughs> and it's it's true of anyone like like i don't care who you are or what your background is you can never base assumptions about the general general population on one person um, yeah. You know, but I think, you know, to expand that slightly, then when you've got small groups of like-minded people who are largely homogenous in their own organisation, you, you know, it as you say, it, that's a perpetuating thing. It's setting itself up to, to do what it's always done and just repeat. And it actually takes conscious effort. You know, actual, you know, those, those two words are both active words. You have to be consciously aware of it, and then you have to put in real effort to change uh, those sorts of things. And I think that's part of why I'm, I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic about women's cycling at the moment, though, is because I think, you know, th that's the summation of everything that I was just rambling on about, is that we're conscious of these problems, like collectively, across the whole sport at every level, we're conscious of these things, and people are starting to find ways to apply their effort to help push the whole fucking behemoth in that right direction. And, yeah, I, I get we're nudging it, you know, fractions of a millimetre at a time, but we're moving it, you know. It is moving, and that's kind of cool, and yeah. it's it's I mean, worth keeping up, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm very cynical about both Brian Cookson and Pat McQuaid talking about, you know, women most <laughs> Oh, well, I'm, yeah. I'm impressed that you're only cynical because I'm just—I'm reduced to babbling, foaming rage every time I hear either of them talk about women's cycling. Oh, um, but, but but at least they are actually both. You know, it may just be words, but at least they're both talking about it. Well, that is both, that is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because I absolutely agree with you. I think I think basically, in my opinion, in short, I think they're both full of shit when it comes to what they're saying about women's cycling but i do think at the same time that it's really really fucking interesting and quite revealing that they both think that women's cycling is an important enough issue that they have to be campaigning on it it yeah, tells yeah, yeah. you tells you a hell of a lot about what the rest of the world thinks 
you well, know. I think yeah, I think it's very interesting because I think they realise that if they don't pull their finger out, we are going to have that Billie Jean King moment where mm, mm. you know where women's races just decide to break off, and you know, and and you can we could be in a situation where the IOC turns around and goes right, you know, you're, this isn't Olympic enough for us. Well, to, to be fair, in my opinion, women's cycling is perfectly within its rights to do that because, truthfully, I don't see how it can actually hurt the sport to to make a break like that at the moment. Yeah. You know, like, literally the Olympics are the only thing that they have to lose, but if all women cyclists stood together, the Olympics would have to come to them because otherwise they just wouldn't have, you know, one half of an event, and the Olympics can't do that, so... You know, yeah. it, it, they they do actually have you know a lot of power, but yeah. yeah. But it was it and was it, one of those things that came up in the Emma Pooley interview, though, as the interviewer pointed out. You know, Billy had uh, you know like you can't protest your your invitation to Wimbledon unless you get the invitation to Wimbledon. So yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, um, so that is our long rambling rambling Giro thing. Um, so many more things to t- I could talk about for hours. Valley Scandalara attacking on every day. I want to say a massive, massive thank you specifically to all the riders who answered my Q&As. I mean, they absolutely didn't have to. I'm just some git on the internet, do you know what I mean? It was so kind of them and so generous. And especially Amanda Spratt and Jesse McLean, J-Mac and Spratty, who in turn had daily Q&As with me and about yeah, yeah. If you do see Amanda Spratt, feel free to punch her for me. Because, like, seriously, what the fuck, Spratty? Like... Honestly, what the holy fuck are you doing? Instant coffee. Instant fucking coffee. Instant... Just... Honestly. I, 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 I in no way advocate violence. I think Dan has lost the plot, but apparently coffee is his religion, so... Fucking instant coffee, Sprat? Really? Like, really? Really? Fuck. Um, but apart from that, if you haven't had a chance, do go back and read, um, you know, Sarah's interviews with, with Spratty and J-Mac and also with all of the other writers leading into the Giro and all of their coverage of the Giro. Sarah did an amazing job. Um, and she, no, she did, and she's, like, laughing nervously because she doesn't feel comfortable with me talking her up like this. But the truth is she did an amazing job pulling together all sorts of coverage every single day of the Giro. And um, if you want to catch up on anything to do with Giro, go find her articles on Podium Cafe in the women's cycling section. Come to our site at prowomencycling.com. Track down her Twitter lists. You will, honestly, I swear to God, you will come away with a better understanding and feel for what happened in this race than you will from the Tour de France. And I, I genuinely mean that. You will actually have a better sense of what it was like to be in that race and at that race than you will from watching all the television of, of the TDF. So it's check it all out. Really do that. Now Sarah's shy and embarrassed and doesn't know what to say, so I'm just going to say something awkward until she stops giggling and wraps up. So um, thank you, um, Blush. Um, yeah, the next races we're coming up. Tomorrow starts the Tour of Britannia in France, and then we've got a really heavy weekend where we've got three races at the same mm. time. So Quite the one big. that I'm really excited about, I know it's one of your favourites, um, and it's one of my favourites, although for slightly different reasons, because you've been to this race and I haven't, but you know, I personally just have to be a major fan of any race that's built around beer, so it's like a rule. Yeah, Touring Good Run Fart, sponsored by a brewery, and at the end of each stage, the riders 
Americans do get beer on the podium. So Dan will be very happy. The uh, European Under-23 and Junior Road World Championships, which are the best place to spot young talent for the future, and the Tour of Limousin. So come back next week. It won't be as long, I swear. We'll try not to ramble so much. <laughs> try not to off topic so much. Thank you for listening. We very much appreciate it. And Thank you. you zero two yeah i am aware we promise to be shorter every week so one of these weeks it'll be true (laughs) he says extending the podcast exactly let's stop now okay now or now (laughs) now okay so now